The following episode of FOFOP is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. FOFOP advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop, I'm Will Anderson and uh, I, I haven't done a Fofop for a while, uh, so it's good to be here. I, I still have uh, actual human socks on my microphones. Uh, for people who have listened to some recent other podcasts, you will have heard about the fact that uh, uh, my uh, podcasting equipment got stolen when I was on holidays and uh, now there is somebody who formerly worked at a Spanish airport who now has their own podcast and I feel like I'm just creating industries in other countries. Uh, but it did mean that I had no pop shields for my microphones and so I improvised in a very MacGyver-like way and I put actual human socks that were provided for free on an aeroplane once. Uh, they have been worn uh, by humans but they have been washed several times since before I put them on the microphone. Anyway, I uh, guess Charlie Shamer Hello, how are hey, you? Hey, wonderful to hear that these are clean socks. They're I clean didn't socks. notice that there were socks at first. Yeah. And then I was like, oh. Yeah, the actual human socks. I know, there's, right? There's a interesting, like, the way in which our brain perceives disgust is, like, really funny. So they don't, they'll look at, like, females in, uh, in, in grocery stores, and when they buy, like, boxes of tampons, uh-huh. they'll make sure and put the tampon, like, away from like food and meat and stuff right even, even though it's like this clean it's a box and right it's couldn't clean. be cleaner yeah. it's, it's been made in a factory it's been hermetically sealed it's like a med- it's in the medical section of the like it's very clean yeah you can rub it all over your veggies if you want <laughs> yeah. although it may like uh, subtract some of the moisture from the vegetables <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. that's the thing you don't want to put it near your peas because it dries them up before you get them home don't put the tampons <laughs> That's, in your peas hang before on, you get Hang home. on, why are these carrots so dry? Did you leave my pads over the carrots again? I told you you got to separate them in the basket. How many times? Important life lessons. Yeah. <laughs> and you've ruined my tampons. Kind of my vagina smelling of carrot. The rabbits I'm going to attract? Come on. The rabbits. The rabbits. And your father's name is Warren. Finally, that joke has come true. Because I'm attracting Warren. He's Anyway, this is horrible. Just separate them in the basket. I taught you. And you can show, you can show people pictures of, like, uh, of disgusting things, and then they'll be more racist. Uh, what do you mean by that? Like, what sort of disgusting things? Like um, feces and stuff like that. So and, uh, hang they'll on. be more homophobic and racist. Be- uh, well, I mean, I guess feces maybe does that people remind people of like if like a man on man sexual act of like that like there's a feces related hole. Does that? Well, or is it just a more general sort of like? I'm sure those- there's lots of reasons, but the idea is that our immune system uh, makes primes our primes our psychology in various ways, and if you're in a high disease or a parasitic environment you will automatically be more discriminating to outsiders right because you're, you're suddenly just shutting down you don't want to like if you're if your immune system's already doing everything it can to deal with what's in its in 
immediate environment, there, you don't want to go exploring new environments and new parasites. Right. I mean, it is the thing that, like, at the heart of any sort of uh, debate that they have around, uh, like, refugees and asylum seekers and stuff, the first thing is this idea that they will bring with them disease. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is very inherent in the way that we still look at the world as, like, what if those filthy foreigners come in here with their diseases? <laughs> and why old evolutionary mechanisms. And work. why every year there's, like, a massive sort of, like, third world disease scheme in our world like I mean a lot yeah. of those things do come along but it does feel like I mean I was in America when Ebola was happening and remember there was that one flight with that nurse yeah. while well, I was flying to wherever that was like Cleveland or like Minneapolis or somewhere I was playing wherever it was she flew Cleveland it was in Cleveland and uh, I flew there that day and the panic like it was like America was going to be like there was going to be millions of people in America dying of Ebola mm-hmm. yeah and I, I, I think it's like I think it's also why um, the South tends to be a little uh, more close-minded because there, there's uh, they, they live in a warm um, uh, parasitic en- environment that's like great for diseases, right? And so they're already surrounded by it. So then you don't want to you you're looking for those cues for outsiders, right? There's yeah. like you know what we we feel a lot more racist than we are. It's actually just the mosquitoes. It's <laughs> yeah, the climate yeah. and the mosquitoes. Don't yeah. blame us, to be honest. <laughs> you take the mosquitoes out of this equation, we are actually no more racist than anybody else. <laughs> yeah. You try not to be racist with all these mosquitoes. That's of what course. I'm saying. <laughs> Easy enough for you in your mosquito-less climate to be not racist. And so you can you, you show people these pictures and then you give them surveys on like how they feel about affirmative action or or uh-huh. or uh, gay marriage and and then they rate it uh, worse than what they normally. Would. You know, it, interestingly enough, and of course, like you know, I, I I love the business of just applying you know something I've just learned to something that it doesn't necessarily apply to, <laughs> but in my mind I've made a leap oh, between yeah. the two. Regardless, That's my favorite thing to do. But in Australia, the more racist places are the hotter places yeah like the further you go like north like into like queensland queensland's a place that just voted in like our version of the trump or the brexit the pauline hansen in australia and she got a lot of votes in like really really hot places that where there's heaps of mozzies and they're they'll eat more spices too naturally because spices are antimicrobial so they're immune boosting right and so that's why india eats lots of spices and iceland has very bland food uh i'm from wisconsin so i'm used to bland food myself um also if you like it's it's if you like wash your hands um if you give someone an opportunity to like wash their hands so so you can do like uh you give someone a a uh, test you you have someone like write a story a various story and then at the end you give them like three different prizes like an itunes gift card or uh something else or a, a basket of like nice soaps and you just have them write whatever story they want and they'll and they'll usually pick like the itunes gift card or whatever but if you have them write a story about something that they're ashamed of then they pick the soap like they want to cleanse themselves right afterwards some and fucking lady Macbeth shit yeah <laughs> and if you if, so if someone just like got done washing their hands too they're less likely to like help someone 
like someone they can have someone a plant like drop something in front of them because they've just washed their hands yeah and you're yeah, like and so now i'm gonna have to rewash free. my hands uh, uh, or is oh no it's because they're just like they've been cleansed morally yeah it's okay yeah i can start dirtying myself up a little yeah okay all right same with people walking out of whole foods People that have just bought stuff at Whole Foods feel like they're patting themselves on the back, like they just helped the world, did this the very moral thing by getting their groceries there, and they're less likely to like help someone that needs help. That's really interesting. <laughs> I, know. I uh, okay. Uh, what do you think the morality of this is? This is like you know you don't need to necessarily really explain this. I'm just asking you as a human being as yeah. much as anything. Um, <clears throat> I often go to Whole Foods. And just eat the free samples and then walk out again. <laughs> like often. Like regularly. Like more often than I buy things. Also at Trader Joe's, but they just have like one thing where they normally prepare one or two op- options. But like on a good day at Whole Foods, they might have like five or six places you can stop, even as a vegetarian, and try something for free. Now they're offering those things for free. I'm not breaking any like apps, but but I do go from station to station with a plan and then just walk away. And to be honest, I did not enter the Whole Foods with any intention of buying anything. Uh, that seems like just kind of smart to me. Like, okay? like if if they just have better free samples and right. things, and they're know. offering them, yeah, like they just yeah, put all the, the cheese whole... on a plate. And they just put it there. And I'm sure you pick it, up an th- item or two once in a while. I so pick them up, put them back down. There's always <laughs> always too many lines. <laughs> But you so you just won't you never buy anything at Whole Foods. I'm just going. I mean, maybe samples. one in every eight. Yeah, visits, yeah, but not a lot of things. I think and most often it's are just getting more often. Often it's you. just a pity purchase. <laughs> like often it really is that I'm like, you know what? I've you been here a lot. I should, I should buy. Yeah, <laughs> I should buy one. I should get that Japanese mayonnaise I like that I can only get here. I'll get that today. But I only need that every eight weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know. They only have three things. I occasionally have speculative looks at things there, but then I always remember this. Pro- it's problematic for me because I think at Whole Foods, um, I have to have my passport with me. I, they won't accept my Australian driver's license as like identification. To buy alcohol? You mean? I think it's, yeah, to buy alcohol. Mm. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's Trader Joe's. One of them. One of them, like, one of them's problematic. One of them, I tried to buy alcohol, and I am 42 years old, and I'm clearly 42 years old. Like, in Hollywood, I could play fucking 55. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, have yeah. a natural look. My teeth are not straight. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I have gray hair, I, and I dye, like, a lot of it. But even though I dye some of it, it's heaps still... of it's still gray. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's where I'm at in my life. There is no way that I am under 21, but couldn't buy alcohol. I I once only had my passport and was not let into a bar because I didn't have an American driver's license with me. They wouldn't accept a passport. The passport's like the most rigorous thing that you can have. The passport trumps the yeah. driver's license. That's what I tried to explain to the bouncer. But he did not. No. He was playing some, like, you know, some card game where suddenly the ace isn't the highest card. Like, I know in this card game, the jack is the highest because it's called Jackity Jack. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's what he was playing. He goes, now in my world, American driver's license. I think. I don't want some fucking inter. That was, he was a Trump voter. Yeah. He was like, I only want American identification. (laughs) I don't trust his world passport. It was in like Louisiana or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Your passport's for people who want to leave. America why do you hate America <laughs> that's what that's where what the you can was. normally if you have an American driver's license go through a drive-through daiquiri place and have on, one of the strongest a drive-through daiquiri place. you don't know about this no why would I 
know about this? Uh, uh, oh, because this it's, seems like a thing that's just made up. Um, I know. I mean, that's why it's like so salient that I thought maybe you'd heard of it. Um, it's in Louisiana. They have drive-through daiquiris that come in like they're enormous, like the size of a big gulp. You can drive through, get a daiquiri, and even like I'd like to add an extra shot into that. And have it in your cup holder. I think that maybe you're not, I'm not, you'd have to check me on this. You're not legally supposed to be like drinking it while you're driving. Sure. But they put the straw in the thing, they hand it to you, you're the only one in the car. Right. And it's just normal. They don't give you the straw in a like a like plastic wrapper that says (laughs) only open when home. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, we trust you. But you're not well, I yeah. guess it's like any place that sells a gun and bullets. Yeah. I yeah. always think there's an implicit trust in that of going, Yes, we've given you an instrument of death, but we trust that you're not just gonna go out in the car park and use it now. Yeah, or use it before you pay for this. Right. Me. I mean, there is that like element in that transaction. Any transaction, I guess, in this in this age we live in where people like in the share economy with the you know, people getting into Uber or Airbnb, I guess we every day put our trust in complete strangers' hands. And Uber is so much better than taxis. And Airbnbs are so much better than hotels. So it does seem to be working out. But there's some horror stories. I mean, there's some horror stories about the way that, like, I mean, well, there's some horror stories about being a human being. Yeah. In every interaction. Like, as it turns out, even our most lovable television dads are horrible fucking rapists. So, (laughs) like, you know, let's just assume that wherever we look, Terrible things have been yeah. happening. And those ones are going to pop out way more to you and right. way more publicity. And in the places that were the, the most self-righteous, like organized religions and Boy Scouts and stuff like that, then of course, yeah, they are going to have been covered up more and they're going to be more systematic and they're going right. to be more vulnerable. And when they come out, they're going to garner more press. But it's happening everywhere. It, like bad sexual behavior, like predatory sexual behavior, illegal sexual behavior, sexual behavior that we're trying to evolve out of as a human species happens daily to it like to it's probably worse in the areas where it's being covered up because it's right you're able to do well because then you can get away with it yeah well i mean that's what that like uh, i I always try to quote this documentary and i can never remember what it's called but it was about the irish sex scandal and it was because the 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 guy yeah and he uh, He was in california they moved him around a bunch and he was the one particular guy was uh, molesting deaf kids because no one they couldn't tell their kid their, their, their parents i think yeah yeah and it's like well of course you've found the most vulnerable of all people and you found this like great way to keep your hideous secret secret so you of course you do it more because you don't think you're ever going to get caught i also like that he had such little respect for deaf kids that he doesn't know how like deafness works and like there'd be no way for them to like write this down and and like convey this information. i mean it didn't feel like he thought it the whole way through but <laughs> Like in a horrible way, he had a good run. If you know yeah, what I mean, yeah, so he yeah. probably like like horrible people who were doing horrible things. If you get away with it for long enough, eventually, hopefully, you make some sort of mistake. Because that's I was just talking with um with a club owner who is a uh, who is a detective as well, and he is like knows that I um do drugs. I was there doing a psychedelic show that I'm doing, and it's right. like. Um, I'm not going to blow up the guy's spot, but he, he was like fine with drugs and whatnot or, or like psychedelics and marijuana and stuff like right. that. 
He'd be a terrible and, detective if he saw you doing your show about doing those things and couldn't work out that perhaps he was like, oh, this guy does drugs. Yeah, yeah. Do you reckon any of his crowd, do you reckon if we book this guy to do this show that is, I mean, unless it was like one of those things where they offer all the local criminals boats, <laughs> you know, like it's a, it's a big thing and the only reason he booked you at that club was he's like, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Like I've been busy working on the club and I haven't actually been closing many detective cases, but I've got a way I reckon I can round up 80 or 90. Well, plus get a two drink minimum, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get him at the end yeah, after yeah. the check drop. After the check drop, we round him up. But let him see the show. Let him. Oh man, it's it's so funny that you say that because I was talking to the guy. I was like, well, how do you get away with as someone who like gets psychedelics sure. and buys them, whatever? And he was like, well, the thing that you have to understand about drugs is like there's so much low hanging fruit. for us like it's so easy to bust people for drugs that they're not like getting warrants to hack into like computer systems and stuff like you know they're they're just they can make drug busts every night of the week they're not putting a lot of effort into it so if you're just like a little bit smart about it you know you can and and Uh, no absolutely and like and that's part of the the broader problem with drugs like you know which is this idea that they they have been systematically used to like you know disproportionately put like people of color in the prison system uneducated right um, uh, yeah like you know the fact that like I mean even it still happens in Australia on the sort of level that if you go to a music festival if you're a kid who just wants to have a good day out or whatever that the, uh, there's a possibility there of like the other uh, send the police with sniffer dogs and search people and blah blah blah. But if you're at the the Logies, the television night of nights, or if you're like at the you know Macquarie Bank stockbroking like you know yeah. end of your Christmas party, they're not sending the dogs in there. And guess what? I've been to those sort of parties, and there are people with drugs. You know, yeah. like better drugs, better drugs, more expensive drugs, at yeah, the very least. and a variety. Right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, they're everywhere. Not just crack, which is the same thing as coke. Right. Uh, you know, it's just quicker. Uh, just a little essentially, quicker. Essentially, yeah, it's, it's, it's fast thing. food coke. Yeah, but everyone's right. like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'd have a, I had a line or two in college or I'll, like, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a line of coke like probably right. once, twice a year, you know, and fucking mood strikes me and it's around, someone offers it to me. But to think of the idea of like smoking crack is just like, now you're you're a fucking crackhead, you know. And I I actually when I was a teenager I smoked crack accidentally one time. But outside of that, I would never consciously in my wildest just like e- even me who is like a drug advocate has been conditioned by the system, you know, to see these things in these in, in different ways. I mean, and. I, the, the, there is a capacity for there being some sort of discernment within that as well, right? Like when you say you, someone who you know is a drug advocate, surely, and I would say that I, you know, am like certainly at least open-minded on those sort of things. Like I try to err on the side of like regardless of like offering what I've found is like useful to me right, 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 with right, only right. with it saying that this is what is useful to me. You know, I can't, I can't tell if it'll be useful to you or not. Yeah. And I'm talking about like psychedelics. Right. Too. I'm not, I'm not saying but, people should do crack and heroin. No, but this is, but this is my point. Like sometimes those two things get mixed up together, which is this idea of going like that you, somehow if you advocate for one thing, then you have to be, you have to be necessarily open door. And I think, well, Firstly, my kind of general philosophy on these things is like, are you handling your high? Whatever your high is, whether it's like exercise or like your diet or like your obsession with your work or whatever it is that is the thing that is like your high. That 
Are you, what's your relationship with that like? Is it positive? Is, is it making your life better? Are you cool with like, you know, the sacrifices you're making for the good that you're getting out of it? Do you feel like that's in balance? Regardless of what it is in your life, you should be constantly asking your question, like, what is my relationship with this? Like, you know, like, what is my relationship with this podcast? I started like doing it because I love to hang out with my friends, but now it's like taking a lot of my time and suddenly I'm at a home and maybe I if talk to- If you want to me to leave, I'll leave. If that's what you're trying to say. That's what I'm trying to <laughs> Say. I'm trying to say the new podcast goes 20 minutes <laughs> and we've got 1930 so sorry wrap it up anyway wrap it up what's the meaning of life no <laughs> uh, you've got 30 seconds for the meaning of life and your plugs my mom so, <laughs> my mom is someone who like I feel so bad for because she I, I'm not sure she's ever touched a drug may I, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe in high school or something or, or early 20, like she maybe had like, a, she smoked marijuana once or twice or something. It would surprise me a little bit, but I wouldn't be right. shocked. But I know outside of that, like no way. But she is um, com- uh, obsessive compulsive perfectionist that works, overworks. She's in a salary position where she gets paid the exact same no matter what. And right. she, she'll work like 90 hours a week and then get home and clean the house spotless for the fifth time that week. And that's, it's, it's worse. And you can see it just in her body shape and everything else. You can see the stress that she's under. And it's worse than most occasional drug users are putting their body through, you know? And the other thing is that, like, there's plenty of people who have terrible relationships with drugs. Mm. Like, but, you know, like, and, and I've seen heaps of them. Like, yeah. I've seen heaps of them. And at times, I've probably been them. Yeah. You know, like, you know, uh, yeah, at times, certainly along the journey. And, right. like, sometimes in other people's eyes, even when I wasn't in my own eyes. Like, you know, because that's the other thing you've got to realize is that, like, you know, your relationship with whatever experience you're having might not necessarily be very the, the relative. Well, but also you could be having the best time of all time, but that might be completely impractical impractical to all the people around you. And eventually that in itself, like, you know, so all these things you've got to take in the experience. So the idea that there is some sort of like broad position or like, you know, like thing that is like, you know, here is my, like my opinions on all these things are, are really complex, but I, I'm interested in the idea of like why we need them at all which is not just drugs i mean just structures the things the highs you know the whatever it is whether it be cleaning the house or working the 90 hours or getting to the gym at six o'clock every morning or thinking that that job you're working towards like that structure that you know 20 years working at that law firm because you know if you work five years working this hard you get to this level and whatever that is if the universe is, you know, huge and unexplainable and, you know, immensely complex and getting more complex. Then what, what's all that about? I mean, I think that the one of the reasons you why have 30 seconds. In <laughs> uh, Shane Moss, I have a tour about psychedelics called The Good Trip, 65 cities. If you live in the U.S., I'll be, <laughs> uh, my podcast is Here We Are, I interview scientists about blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Um, I, um, I, I think that maybe one of the reasons or, or at least a good example of how it's affecting people is, is if you look at how men seem to have more issues with this, with uh, being more workaholics, more drug addiction, 
um, I think is because men are a bit more status driven. And I think that there's this perpetual need inside most people to, to rank yourself in, in, uh, in this status, in this hierarchy, like whether you actually, I mean, needs and wants are two different things. And what determines like, like, do, do you need a Lamborghini? No, but you need to pass your jeans on. And will a Lamborghini help with that? Eh, you know, uh, so like there, there's really a fine line. It's not, it's not like when you talk about like the old view of economics is, is like we should be looking at finance like a robot would and anything deviating from that in you're dumb. Whereas more of like a behavioral economics or evolutionary take on it is that you're taking a girl out on the first date and you're broke and you go maxing out your credit card to buy a fancy lobster dinner and all that like uh, classic economics that would be considered insane but from the view of evolution well you can deal with that credit card later if you right. get if you get laid tonight and pass those genes that's a million years potentially billion years potentially of your genes being passed on at least in some variation into the future that drive is incredibly strong like it's to the point where because in like a really like if you only thought about this like one beat sense. I've misunderstood. Well, I'll explain a little bit more and that'll probably, because I have not given you enough information one to. One bit? No, one beat. Oh, like, one so bit. imagine you just think about this one beat, which is this, like I don't want to have children. I think, And I think I've pretty much decided that I don't want to have children. I've never Me had either. much interest, but I think I'm now at a point in my life where I'm just like, you know what? I don't think it'd be fair on children either, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Why, why doesn't then my evolutionary sort of like, you know, sense of like needing to spread my seed or whatever, like just switch off? Because haven't I just gone, well, I don't want this. I don't need this. In fact, this would be impractical in my life. This would be something that like in the life that I've chosen as a conscious human being, like it, it is now impractical for me to have these urges or these like wants or desires. Why, why, would, why wouldn't that just stop? Why can't that just stop? What's, what's that about? Well, I don't, I don't think there was ever given, I don't think our brains were ever given the opportunity to evolve like that specific mechanism of like shutting it off. Otherwise you just like wouldn't want sex or anything because sex would be silly and you know uh but it feels great and um uh, so a, a few things i think it's just like obesity whereas we were never given a chance in our evolutionary history to understand right. that sometimes you can have an excess of food and resources in a refrigerator and eat too much and um and and this was never obesity was never this is a very 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 new problem in our evolutionary history so our brains haven't been given a chance to um catch up but i would say regarding mating i think that there is a bit of software in there that helps you understand especially as you get older that children are a tremendous cost and burden and might be a burden to like other children you may already have and so i think there is a questioning in there that that helps us like not go too far with it but um but and and the reason why that's been able to evolve is because we birth control is a very very new thing you know because i because i would argue in an evolutionary sense and this might go to your point that you know like we just have evolved too quickly you know as in like you know to kind of you know have 
like evolved as human beings to perfectly suit our environment and our circumstances. But population is probably the thing that's going to kill us. Oh, yeah. You know, the fact that like we can't stop having children except that like no one will ever have a conversation about it. And in fact, when China did have like a one-child policy, like they were you know, reviled around the world for like the, the very idea of it. But we can't as human beings have a conversation about this idea of population. You can't in any way negatively express an idea that, that maybe there's well, enough... celebrate every baby, that right. every new person. Every seven. single one. Like... Never is there anything that is supported so unanimously, right? You know, with and so uncritically. I think in so many different ways. Then our like desire, or at least not even like you know, conversation about caps on or desires for population. And think about like men who constructed basically every religion that there is. There is always some message, quote unquote, from God right. that was like, "Be fruitful yeah. and multiply," <laughs> which is like an awesome thing to tell a lady. Like right. God told me that we should. Do- we- we put in a bit about how God wants me to give him hand jobs, right? We put that in. We changed some of the language, Gary, but yeah, now the hand job thing's in. I mean, God says hand jobs. It's in there. It's in God, there. God says, God says hand jobs. God says hand jobs is a t shirt. Yeah. Tuesday. Uh-oh. Fish on Friday, hand jobs on Tuesday. It's in there. Yeah, most people aren't going to read it right? anyway. Come on. Um, I, I, I mean, again, going back to our the environment we actually involved in, which we're now maladapted for our modern environment because right. it's nothing like that. I mean, when humans, when humans kind of stopped ish, I mean, they haven't stopped, but, but like the last big shift in human evolution was around 75,000 years ago. And I think there's like uh, there, there, you know, these are like bands of 50 that were like, I mean, humans were on the endangered species list. They were very vulnerable. There was not many of them around. And I mean, 150,000 years ago, I think there was only probably like 50 humans kicking around. And a lot lot of people don't know, but uh, all the animals got together. They did a lot of fundraising programs. (laughs) A lot of gigs, like a lot of free gigs, raised some money, put in some human (laughs) breeding programs. Different countries had their own. I mean, for a lot of time, you know, they funded it by the animals visiting and seeing the humans. And they were seen as adorable, but once a year, you know, they would try to mate them and it was adorable. It's a sadder story yeah. for the animals. <laughs> Humans figured out how to collect around one another and work as teams. And, and once once we figured out nets and spears, we were able to just wipe out everything. Nothing was prepared for it. That, that's why the only animals that... Uh, that the only big mammals that really are still around are in Africa where where we evolved because they got used to humans and they're like oh stay away from those guys when we went to Australia or whatever there's enormous like these crazy kangaroos right. uh, you know everything else and, and prehistoric sized you know like you know yeah like Australian animals and these scrawny just motherfuckers on two legs came walking in. They're like, "Look at this free meal!" Right. And stab Nat's death. Yeah, it's all you can eat. This yeah, is a sizzler. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, it was the original Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, but absolutely, it's this idea that I, I actually had a, a, a stand-up bit about the idea of like a, a guy had justified because I'm vegetarian and he had justif- justified him eating meat 
through the argument that, that human beings were top of the food chain and that gave us the right to eat the other animals on the food chain. So I used to have a bit about where we would actually rank on the food chain if we went one-on-one up against, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, together we are top of the food chain, but... Like, yeah, you're you know, getting eat by, eaten by a grizzly bear. Yeah. This is within your rights. Right. Yeah, you exactly. are clearly at the top <laughs> in the social order. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it is one of those ideas that we forget the fact that got us to the top is that we work together. Because now, you know, we, I, I often think that so many of our debates, so many of the things that frustrate us come down to us, everyone involved in the arguments forgetting that the whole point is that we're in this together. Yeah. That this is all ridiculous and we invented all these things, religions, labels, just weird societies, labels. but just things to do. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you look at it in China, the big problem with their growth in China is that now there are too many people for the amount of jobs because there is eventually a certain amount of industry and jobs. It's, it's not an infinite sort of thing. Mm. And so suddenly you have this whole generation of people who, like, sometimes you needed to just create jobs for people to, like, as the rise of the machine that happens, there is more and more going to be, the, and this what happens in through the politics is what you see with Brexit in the UK and what you see here with Trump and those sort of things because suddenly the guys who worked in factories and stuff like that don't have jobs anymore yeah, yeah. because those jobs don't exist and society hasn't taken a moment to go, oh, jobs actually, we just kind of made up. Yeah, we kind of just made up jobs f so that people would have something to do because you can't just sit around thinking about life all the time, especially now, right? And our money's also made up. Like, I mean, I know that like we tell you if you work, but it's not really proportionate. Like, the dude who sits in the office is going to get a heap more than you digging the hole because we just made up that that's how it should work. It's an and thing. by the way, we probably won't even give it to you in paper anymore. It's just going to be on your phone or your computer, so you'll never actually see your money. So we yeah. just agreed to it, but it's going to be the most important thing that determines what you're like as a human being throughout your life. Like, all these things are obviously created structures, but we created them for the survival of our species yeah that, that's there's a there's a book called sapiens that's one of the best books i've ever read that is is very much about these these uh subjective realities that we've constructed that that and his take is that seventy five thousand years or so there was some sort of change in the brain that we're able now we were able to rather than rather than having to worry about the neanderthals and the tribe next door you could convince the tribe next door, no, there's this bigger idea, like this God or unity or love that we can form around and then kill off all those other motherfuckers. Right. You know? um, and it's kind of like this mental prison that's kind of un inescapable, no matter what. Uh, you, you go kind of like, okay, democracy isn't perfect now. What if we make democracy perfect you know, whatever that means. Every uh, maybe everyone gets vote is equal, and you can do it easily online. Who knows? And, and everyone's super well informed. That's still just an idea right. of a thing that we're collecting around. You know? Yeah, because democracy is made up. It's made up like from the, human imagination. Like the idea that everybody's vote should be equal could be a point. Could be a could be a point that we could argue. You know, you could you could argue that perhaps people who you know read the news and pay attention and understand the issues votes should be weighted at a higher level. And yeah. then I'm sure you could make a whole bunch of arguments about how that disproportionately represents those who are born into poverty and they would never get the. It, maybe they should get the be more votes. Maybe the people at the top of the table should get one vote and the people down the bottom who are actually the workers get a hundred votes each or whatever. You could make a billion like all these arguments 
about a system. We just chose democracy as being this thing that we say is the best system. And and what what they in like determining okay is this idea good is like nothing can be any more good than it is bad other than based on like the, you really have to be specific of what the context is you can right. be like is is this good for my individual wealth for my individual health that doesn't necessarily mean it's just this universal goodness it's it's still just but well because even within yourself right on a very micro level so something that is good for you say financially might be terrible for you for your health like suddenly i'm going to get this great job in america but you know what the truth of it is i'm not going to sleep as much i'm not going to get that operation on my hips blah 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 so even within yourself when you're making a decision it can be like opposites let alone the idea that you could get something that took you away from your partner so for you it's like great it's the biggest career opportunity in your life but for your partner suddenly her life is worse off because you the person that she loves is not around so even in that moment let alone the idea that you might like then keep going with that idea that there might be some perfect response for everybody that's why it kind of drives me crazy when people are like what's the meaning of life like there could ever possibly be one universal meaning like that's just impossible you know because every everything has all those individual and they're different for everyone and everything i mean even if there was a universal meaning of happiness and i discovered the universal meaning of happiness i would by the very nature of that piss off the guy who was second in line for discovering that (laughs) like and the reason that he hadn't won was his hatred for me the guy who was better like and i don't want to cause that shit for him he's dedicated (laughs) his life to finding the meaning of happiness Um, you know, that third place finishers, I, I have, have a better like memory of it and, right. and, and uh, then silver. Get more satisfaction. Cause right. silver, you were so close. Right. Third place. It's like, still got a medal. Silver. People think like I could have won gold. Yeah. If you're silver, you could have won gold. Whereas like bronze, you, you, Hey, you got a medal, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, That's yeah. why you start the thing. You go, Oh, well, you know what? Yeah. I could have come forth and I wouldn't have got to go at one step. I'm pretty happy with that. I, I think that I, I, I for a while was taking to, I would have like little, little gold stars in my wallet and just like little stickers like they give you in grade school. Oh, or yeah, whatever. Okay. And then sure. like anytime, like I'd only give like one out a month, but like if someone did something like particularly funny or like blew my mind or something like that, I'd take out a gold star just and put it on their shirt. And right. everyone was always like excited. They're like, well, you just carry around. And it like made people feel good and stuff, and they'd show right. it off. Well, like, except that, like, if it was other comedians, I would be like, it's one star, but it like read like a two star. <laughs> Definitely, like, on paper, it was a two. <laughs> um, I love that, but those, but this is, I kind of, uh, you know, brought it to this point, which is this idea that there are some measurements even within the way that we arrange our lives mm-hmm. that are the measurement of our life rather than us looking at it as the structure of our life because your life is actually the bits i mean you know I'm, people have framed this in much pithier ways but life is mostly what happens in between the things that we think our life is about Right, you know, like so, you know, the job or the advancement or whatever. Most of your life is actually at home with your wife and kids, or like you know, driving or like blah blah blah. Like you know, I was thinking about this the other day. If you're a tradesperson, like you've got to actually think two things. You've got to think: Do I like you know hammering a nail and like building stuff? Also, do I like driving? 
because right. like a lot of your job is going to be driving like to be a stand-up comedian like it's people think of like a stand-up comedian is like that bit when you're on stage and when people go gee it must be hard being a stand-up comedian they're always talking about the bit on stage where you're telling jokes what we know is oh no no that's the fun bit you know what the hard bit is yeah. like 6am flights out of somewhere on a Sunday after a double show on a Saturday night sitting down the back of the fucking plane that's the bit that is the hard bit my my tour a good trip was as as uh just since there's only 30 seconds left, um is the most excited i've ever been about anything i put together and it's but it's also like basically 65 days in a row and i'm driving to each one and so i'm going to have the complete opposite of like is the best show I, I put together the way people respond to it and everything is amazing and and like it's the most fulfilling show i and then at the same time, I'm also going to be putting my body through like the worst torture that it's ever been through. You know, it's going to be a marathon. So it's, I don't know. And you're going to be driving yeah. much more than you're performing. Oh, Like yeah. by the nature of like hours, like minutes spent doing it. So when somebody says to you, but no one ever says that to you, you go, all right, like you're going to be a stand-up comedian. Like, uh, and if they, like on, on day one where they like <laughs> doled out what your responsibilities and your time allocation is going to be, it's going to be like, well, to be honest, two thirds of it is going to be driving. Yeah. <laughs> do you like driving? I, I know you like telling your little riddles, but do you enjoy <laughs> driving? Because it's going to be much more driving than riddles. I, uh, <laughs> I, this is the next time I'm like being interviewed by a local newspaper and they're like, how, why'd you get into comedy? It's like, well, I just, just loved driving. I love driving. I mean, and if I have to tell a few riddles right. along the way. <laughs> <laughs> to pursue my love of driving, yeah. then I'll do it. But really, the comedy is just to fund the driving. <laughs> <laughs> I like airports. Right. I, I just, like the security. You know, um, Sometimes I go through security. I'll uh, pop right back out and right. go through it again. Because I know I'm not going to be in there for another week. Right. I want to go through as many times as I can. It's just what I like. <laughs> you know what I like? Overpriced, disappointing coffee. <laughs> oh, yeah. the but it's true, airport right? Airport sandwiches. Are what, uh, I don't yeah. mind the coffee, but like the food on planes and stuff. I, God damn it. Hang I'm on. Airplane, airplane food? food? Shit. I'm so sorry. I don't, if you want me to leave now, it's within your right. I don't know who I was talking about this with uh, yesterday. I apologize. It's like I'm on a jet lag trip. But the point of even the airplane food tastes terrible. Yeah. Like hack, you know, riff. There would have been a like that. That is hack because it's hack because like so many people there made that observation. Yeah. Like and so many people made that observation because that was a good observation. Yeah, that's a yeah. in fact, that's what you're looking for. Something yeah. that like everybody, if you can come up with something that everybody thinks when given the information, but you were the first person to think it. Right. That's like a great moment. So the first person who did it like an airplane food tastes terrible gag. Like, can you imagine the pent-up tension that people who'd been flying on airplanes had had up until that point that nobody in comedy was representing how they fucking felt about oh, an airplane? the first flight. guy that like, did come it on. must crushed. Like, crushed. <laughs> yeah, Anyone who's yeah. ever taken a plane is like, finally, here's a guy who's talking about what I think. And then we have to go out of our way to, like, put these new twists on these. I mean, that's a lot of what my current career is is you know traveling around interviewing scientists getting these neat little science tidbits which i which i'm sure to like interject on the podcast within 10 seconds the second you open a window for me you know and all that but but all of that is it's just just like 
oh, here, I found this. I found this different lens right. that we can look at the exact same shit that's been covered a million times before. Well, yeah. because that is one of the things with comedy, like I do think, which is like, you know, people sometimes ask, like, is there a particular time you would have liked to be a comedian or those sort of things? Like, you know, a particular era, you know, mm. like a, around a comedy boom or like a place and time or whatever. Like for me, the only thing that I would say is that I – I, I would have loved to go back when there was more taboos. Like, oh uh, yeah, you know? that's a great point. Like, by the time even when I started, there wasn't much that you would really genuinely consider shocking or taboo left. Yeah, and what has happened, I think, like part of the reason that there's been such a debate about like things like rape jokes and stuff in comedy is I think that there is what inha- can I possibly well, what say can I say get, that's yeah, like taboo? Yeah. What can right. I say that's offensive? And we've gone past like when you were George Carlin or like these sort of guys, you had literal great taboos to like break down which is like yes of course we should be able to say those words that real people say and like you know express these ideas and sort of thing but now it's like sometimes i feel a bit more like nah they got to fight for the good stuff and now you're making me fight for your shitty rape gag yeah and like the principle is the same i know but they were fighting for a heaps better thing yeah 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 oh that's a wonderful point Yeah, yeah i mean this was like a big personal crisis and career crisis of mine because I, I started out I started out like you know uh, an absurdist kind of comedian and like very much liked doing kind of like shock value things and like this aw shucks kind of midwestern right. like look what I can get away with saying and um, and you, you know it's, it's not that I was doing anything like groundbreaking okay but also when I started Doug Stanhope wasn't like a household name or, or like Doug Stanhope was a guy that had burned every bridge and was like, it was like, oh, I hope this awesome guy doesn't like kill himself sometime soon because he can't like make any money or whatever. And then, and like, well, da- Doug, but da- also Doug Stanhope essentially kept burning bridges until burning bridges became cool. Yeah. That's yeah, really yeah. what happened. Yeah. Like if you look at the Doug Stanhope story, Doug just kept being Doug right. until eventually people were like, you know what I reckon is pretty in now? I'm sick of bridges. <laughs> is there anyone out here who like is burning bridges? And then after a while, people are gonna be like, yeah. "Oh yeah, yeah." And I remember the usefulness yeah. of bridges. Right. It's like you can get a. But then that's when bridges and, come back. Yeah, you know? yeah. Some but, neat guy in town who's got some bridges. I think maybe that's where we're at. But I, I don't know. But but it was like you know, Louis C.K. wasn't it wasn't like a household name. Like Jimmy Carr was someone who like. You know, loved his Comedy Central presents, but right. it, in at least in the U.S., was not well known. Like Anthony Jeselnik caught breaks like after I did, and then like a few. And so this was this was still a novel-ish thing that I was doing. And then I I remember like, you know, being five years in and having like you know whatever getting my credits and being able to work full time and travel around and do all that. I remember being like tr- still trying to pursue that and being like. You know, these guys are doing it so much better than I am. And they're now known for it. Like, right. people know who they are yeah. now. And there's nothing different about what I'm doing. And it, it was like, yeah, now, now it's going to feel like you're yeah, late to the party. Yeah, 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 exactly. And You're uh, going to feel like Coldplay. No matter how successful you are, you're going to feel like Coldplay. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, uh, and, and so... I mean, I'm happy that that all happened, and I love what I'm I'm doing now. All right, there well, was let, a transitional you know, period where it was like, 
Well, very well here's what I was going to say. Let's pause just for a second because then we can like get my one remaining tiny beer and share it together. Like, but also I can smoke and then we can come back because I'd like to talk to you about um, like changing mm-hmm. because I do think like as a comedian, the idea of like evolution versus like reinvention is like really fascinating to me. So this is a good place for us to pause and then we can come back and Perfect. have a chat about that. So um, changing as a comedian, and this is very interesting to me. I don't know how interesting this is to everyone. Hopefully it's interesting to everyone, but it's very interesting to me mm. because uh, the thing I think about a lot is that idea of like, you know, what it is, like that I have this opportunity. Like, you know, that when I write a show, I often say that like, you know, I try to always remember that when I write a show, when I sit down and write a show, no matter how hard I might be finding that experience, that I have had for a great period of my career, the biggest luxury you can have as an artist, which is the idea that when I sit down to write a show, I know that people will come and see it. Yeah. So there's no guarantee they will like it, or and you know if I and if they don't make shows that people like, they may not come back. But I am at a point in my life where I know that when I sit down to write it, a certain amount of people will rock up to see it. So yeah. I'm making something for people as opposed to speculatively you know like a lot of artists go through that idea of going well i'm going to make something and hopefully at some stage people will see this thing and i do not underestimate the the you know the great sort of like you know luxury that is like as a performer but it also then makes me think about well okay so if i have this audience what is it that like i that I want to say, because that's where it's always got to start, but be, you know, what are their expectations? You know, where can I take them as like people who have supported me? The reason that I can pay my mortgage, the reason that I can do these things is because these people like have said, I am entertained by you enough that I will give you some of my money for you to entertain me. So it's like, it's a, it's a great privilege, but it's also something that comes with this responsibility that where you're like, okay, so what is it? And we become so obsessed with this like self-mythology, this idea of like, well, this is who I am or this is what my audience expects of me or whatever, that I think this idea of change, you know, like I hope that I've evolved and I hope that like when I do like, you know, change that I, I reflect that in my work. But I often wonder like of how much of my own personal development has been like uh, – determined by the development of like you know the person that i am on stage the public persona that i am which is only a small part of actually who i am more broadly how different are those two people and how much does one of their journeys affect the other journey the fact that the showbiz one has been successful doing this thing and that thing and that thing has in a lot of ways determined what the other one has done because the other one's like well this guy's doing okay well i guess we'll come along for the ride but when i'm my stand-up well that's the other guy like, I mean, that's the guy who's like, well, you have this opportunity now and you don't have to do this exact thing that pays your bills. You can do whatever it is you want to do. So the idea of like one day going, well, what I do, what it is that I have been doing, the thing that has made me already at least like, you know, successful enough that I consider myself to be a professional stand-up comedian, the idea of then going, well, <clears throat> I'm going to have to pivot a little and do something that's that's different to this, that's... That's interesting to me. It's not something that I have ever had to do like in that sort of wholesale way. And it may or may not be something that I ever have to do. I'm not sure. Like it's, I guess we always, you know, I mean, Louis was 
20 or 30 years in before he changed up what he was doing like you know like you never know when it's going to happen all right i've i've said all the things that i want to say for context <laughs> for context now you tell me your thoughts whatever um, they are about one that. like that's i love talking to you because you're in the place that you know i aspire to be in um one day which is you know you can fill a room full of people that know who you are know the kinds of things you've talked about in the past and will kind of relate and understand you a little more um yeah i'm i'm getting there and it's help it's having my podcast helps and everything else and just time helps um but i i i'm a ways off from it i think i think that this is like a crucial point in my career i think like the next time that we see each other i'll have i'll be a lot closer to that um but i had i got Breaks on, I was on Conan within like, um, I think it was just before my third year anniversary of, of doing stand-up, which for an American comic is like, that's the fast track. And right. I was on again right away and and um, and Comedy Central stuff. and, and Like literally right away. That's a lot of people don't know that, but you literally came out and did another five minutes as an encore to yourself. Conan's like, we've never done so this good. before. We're but this is cut so all well. the commercials yeah. and like... Yeah. You know what? Pearl Jam can come back Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the kind of ground that I was breaking. Yeah. No, I... Um, <laughs> You just did the same set again. That was the interesting bit. <laughs> Literally did they not liked go. It more the uh, second yeah, the time. second time. Yeah, there's a few bits they missed the first time, <laughs> and you were more relaxed. <laughs> you sold a couple of bits a bit better. To be honest, you were a little tight in the first couple of minutes. Understandable. It was a network yeah, debut. Yeah, you know, they've been doing yeah. three years. The second time the out. The second right time after around, the first out time of the gates. To go sell Bang. <laughs> first minute and a half really cooked. That's what I was saying. <laughs> um, I, was, I was doing, you know, like great stuff for like getting on late night. Yeah. Like short. You had good TV set stuff. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I started. Uh, headlining um, right after the, my first couple little breaks and and then I was doing thrown into doing like 45 minutes which I wasn't as ready for as I thought I'd be and blah 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 and, and um, I realized that to keep the audience off balance I couldn't just do these short weird jokes because they kind of like pick up on it after a while and right. they, and there's a, to, regardless there's a rhythm like even yeah. the best like I mean I I'm one of those people that uh, has often has a great admiration for somebody that I'll watch at a gala or something like that and I'll go, oh yeah, I watch them all the time but would never go and see them do an hour because I'd just be like, yeah, but after 20 minutes this is just going to be too much for me. Yeah, like, yeah, You know, I get it. Like there's a certain rhythm to it that after a while regardless is just the rhythm. So I was picking up on that and then I started mixing in some stories here and there and that helped a lot yep. and I kind of got me through and, and um, you know, had like a really good Comedy Central half hour and so and then at, at the and so like okay next step is to get the hour you know right. an hour special and and um and this was i had started literally working. a progression scheme everyone can understand yeah they uh, should bring in a 45 minutes <laughs> just the, like as an in-between step if you're not ready after your half hour but they still want to encourage you yeah or they should do a rating they should give you however far you are they think up to the hour so you do your half hour and then the next year you might be People back for 42 yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. it's like <laughs> and we think he's at 42 he's earned somebody's at 58 didn't quite get the hour but like got yeah. almost the whole hour 
Um, and I had at the exact same time started, you know, where we met in Australia, started doing international stuff. And so what, how did that start? Because I'm always interested in people who, cause there's a bunch of comedians over here who, um, you know, would obviously who have careers here, like with how funny they are, like, cause one of the things that I appreciate is that with like my skill set, I was born into a market where there were only a small enough people that that was like a yeah, skill set that would, gave me employment and stuff. But when you're in a market as big as this, there might be a hundred people who have that same skill set and yeah. who would do equally as good a job, but they just don't have the opportunities because there's a hundred as opposed to being there four, you know, like right. and three of the other guys had jobs. So I got the other one. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, there is part of me, like that. And so when you see acts come over, like I'm, I'm constantly surprised that more don't in a way because, you know, it is a fertile comedy market and there are plenty of people who have kind of middle careers in America who could have great careers in Australia if they, you know, were putting the time into it. But it seems like that first leap is the hardest to take. So why did you take it? Like, what, what, how did it even come about? It was just I started after my first Conan and then booking another one for the future for like six months, which is a really quick turnover. Right. Um, and uh, and then so within getting my first Conan uh, that that year, um, uh, like 365 days, I, I did eight TV sets. Um, and, and so I was like generating a lot of buzz. Right. And I, w- I was, uh, you know. Uh, I just had a lot of buzz and uh, out of nowhere, only three years in, you know, all these TV sets. Yeah. And, and then, and I got asked to do this. Look at this show. guy. He did an encore on Conan. Literally did the same set. Nailed it the second time. <laughs> Get around this guy. He's genius. I was kind of thinking that's like, it, with all the stuff being given to me, I was like, well, I guess just the rest of my career is going to be like this. Just well, this crazy tr- uh, upward trajectory that will not stop. And- but you're a person who, like, you know, now has, well, and may have always had an appreciation of science. And with the evidence that you had been supplied with, that was a reasonable conclusion to draw. Yeah. Like, you know, essentially, you know, putting all your things together, good things kept happening to you. You've got to start after a while thinking, well, maybe I've. I've worked this out. It was just like crank out the material because I got to keep up with right. this so I can do new sets each Turns time. Turns out that people do... were waiting for me. Yeah. <laughs> Turns yeah. out there was a big Shane Moss sized <laughs> hole in America that yeah. they did not know about until I rocked up. But they can't get enough of this. Got to keep drilling. <laughs> I I got, uh, I was asked to do this show that uh, it was like one of the last seasons of it called BBC's The World Stands Up. Oh yeah, I did and, that show. Um, and uh, it was so they rocketed us both the podcast stardom. <laughs> What's that? I said it rocketed us both the podcast oh, stardom. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I went over the and so because that was in London, um, I and I was already kind of in the neighborhood. Um, I I got to go over to um, Ireland to do this uh, Kilk. Oh, no, yeah, no, Kilk the person that saw me there. Booked Kilkenny. That's what it was. Eddie Bannon. Was it Eddie Bannon? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And um, and yes, it was. And then so he brought me over there, and then um, and then this kid uh, from Australia that worked for the comedy store at the time, Zach uh, Zach something. Oh 
shoot. Galifianakis. It was Zach Galifianakis. Uh, <laughs> that's that's his origin story. You didn't know yeah. that was going to come into it, but uh, is Zach Galifianakis. He worked for the comedy yeah. store in Sydney, Sydney, Sydney uh, doing their booking yeah. stuff. It was a character. It was a long piece character thing he was working <laughs> on. It was very funny now. Yeah. Like at the time, it didn't seem funny, but now when I think about no, it, it's know, actually. Oh, that was Zach Galifianakis, yeah. like working Ta- the door so and Zach. all that. Just, so Zach. Just it's like totally Zach. Kind it's just of, the sort of thing he yeah, does. Yeah. It's how good he is. Um, and they, so then the Sydney store brought me over, and and um, and I just loved, especially back then, I loved the idea of travel and seeing new right. places. And I still, uh, I still want to do more international stuff. Um, and and so that was my. I was like, I want to do more international stuff. And I saw people like you and all the festivals and of people doing these big long theme things and it was so different than anything that i was working on like most people in the states were doing and um and i thought at first it was just like okay i'll put one of these things together so i can come right. and travel internationally more and i also i mean i always tell people i mean like a new comics like Hey, one one bit of advice I always say, like get out of your comfort zone. You know, like I, I was very, I was terrified when I was on stage when I started. My jokes were just like strong enough to get me through, and the nervousness kind of worked in my favor at the time. And then it was like maybe I'll like do characters or something like that a little. Like that scared the hell out of me, so I'd force myself to do that. Like now in my regular club act, not the show I'm touring with, I have a. I have a part where I have to sing like a little bit and that's like that was terrifying to me. I have the worst voice and and like nothing scarier than that to me. I hate karaoke and blah blah blah. And so I just I I've, I've always liked just kind of like pushing it in different ways and realizing like sometimes pushing it isn't about making the rape joke work or whatever it is. You know, sometimes right. it's about pushing yourself. It, yeah, into an a, yeah into an area of like like I mean you look at uh, my sporting team that I follow in the AFL this year. Um, one of the things that I like about our coach is that there are players who've been on our list for a long time, but he's given them belief and permission to play more important roles. So they've been kind of pigeonholed as like one sort of like a dour defender sort of, and he's given them license to be more attacking. And under that reign they have become more attacking. And to see someone who has been one sort of thing for a long time blossom, be, be given permission to blossom like in that way yeah. is amazing. And so seeing someone, like when you look at your act, and I, this, is the, this is the only thing I can do because of the cycle of Australia and that I like doing a new show every year and now I'm just like, I've been doing it for so long that that's what I'm probably going to do forever until I die, you know. So um, <clears throat> the, how do I make last year's show better than like the the show the year before. Well, for some people it won't be because people's tastes are all different. Right. So some people who like the year before may not like this show. So I've got to have my own internal parameters how by how I can measure whether I think it's better. And for me, it is always one of those things. What is it that I don't do well? Work on that. Do everything else as well as you did it last year, you know, all the things that you're good at, and then find one of the things that you're not good at and work on that this year. Right. And I do find it a very inspiring, like, once you realize comedy is not something you can really master, but really a journey or a process that you're on, I think that, that it there is a, a piece that comes with that, that, like, it gets rid of that idea that anything can ever be perfect. 
which is that real enemy of creativity in stand-up comedy. Like you when are you so edit yourself during the creation process right. rather than after. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You've got to get to like what's inside you and what it is that you want to say, and then afterwards you may need to edit that to make it palatable or interesting to a you know, a broader or more mainstream audience who isn't just you inside your own head. But it should be all that stuff. It should be you emptying out your heart on stage and all the things that you want to say, and then yes. Of course, crafting them into Making a way that you can also do it on Conan and, or whatever. But, yeah. but you know, if you don't start there, like if you already start editing it for Conan, right. like when you're creating it, then that's, you know, when it... I, I know. It's, there, there's actually a great program you might like called Write, Write or Die. Um, and what it is, is you just open up. It's just a, it's just a Word document, essentially. But you put all of these um, different uh, conditions in. So, so you say, okay, I'm going to write for, say, 20 minutes. Because this is more of a just to like get the juices going kind right. of thing, more than it's going to be usable. I'm going to write for 20 minutes. I'm going to write 30 words a minute or something like that, right? Whatever you want. And then, um, and, and then you start writing. And if you start slowing down and thinking and like editing yourself, once you start slowing down, all these like alarms go off and buzzers and like spiders and stuff drop on the screen and whatnot. Not, not actual spiders. That would be amazing. But uh, well, I mean, if it really was right or die. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I would like them to bring in that like aspect of it. Yeah, like, like that. It re- with like, a gun let's see how my head. let's see how creatively motivated I am if they're I mean literal danger because we know that if you're on stage in that like artificially constructed danger which isn't really danger because we know we've done this long enough to know that regardless of how i walk on stage tomorrow night and do that show there is a process back for me in recovery of rebuilding my career like even after the worst of all gigs michael richards will gig again and gig again and he he used the n-word at a comedy club like i mean there's a way back for everybody and i'm old enough and experienced enough to know that so there's not really technically any danger in that room. The worst danger is that a bunch of strangers don't think I was that good that night in that thing. Yeah. Yet I am so much more creative in that moment, that artificially created danger. So yeah. then, I, then I've got to experiment with the idea of going, well, d- is it, does it extrapolate like that? Like, is it exponentially the same? If I were in a higher level of danger, would my creativity match the same level? Like it's upped by the fact that I'm standing on stage in front of strangers in a thing. But what if I did have a gun to my head? Yeah. What if the your gu- next act yeah. is like, there's a lot of material about having Will having a gun to his head. Well, is no, he but what okay? if I literally there's just... A, there's a lot of like fire walking material. Brought out a guy act. with a gun. Yeah, And yeah. if I wasn't like, literally was like, be funny. There, I, saw, I saw a sketch like that on Comedy Central once, like like 20 years ago or something like that, where, where a guy had some act where there was like a masked man with a gun to his head and he gave like a motivational speech like that and and it was all about how like the he how, how he started working with the guy he like ran into him and he held a gun to his head and like he realized as he was giving him and all his friends fellatio like he would have <laughs> never been able to do this <laughs> and uh but but um it's a breakthrough moment yeah and so, so the idea with this program is simply just to keep your fingers moving right. and, and having a timer so that your fingers keep moving. You don't edit yourself. Um, but uh, mine, I think my major problem, like the thing that I always think is like, is deciding what it is that I have to say that is of interest. Mm. Like, I know that I have a bunch of things to say. 
I know that I can talk endlessly on pretty much any fucking topic. Like, so my problem isn't the idea of production. My problem is the idea of selection of like quality ideas. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that I always think is like, what is it that I really want to say? Or what is it that like, you know, that would be a, you know, a fun or interesting or the dynamic or whatever it is I need in my life from my show right now? Like, what would that show be? It's hard for me to choose. I know. I start. I usually start with like what's essentially like a blog that I don't publish or anything like that. That's like I'm. I'm thinking like you know. I'll start with like maybe I'll go on a little Facebook rant, and then as I'm writing it up, I'm like, oh, this is really long, and I'll just keep on writing, and like, oh, these are some interesting points that I'm making, and then it's eventually like five pages, and I'm like, oh, this is the structure of something. Right. You know, I can do more with this. Um, but yeah, I so um, you know. When I was in Australia, I started thinking about, okay, what would my... Because they're like, we want to bring you back. We will build you up over here, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, I was like, okay, what would my like solo show be? And at the time, I just happened to notice because I had, I had a new... And it was, it, it was about the... Um, I, I think it was about um, just the, the hour difference between boston and where i was at the time in australia but I, I wrote some joke about time travel and as i was telling it i realized this is my eighth joke about time travel right and i didn't know that i had any jokes about time travel like consciously I, wasn't it wasn't like, like you said out going i'm going to be the time travel comedian yeah, yeah it just yeah. suddenly it, just it turns naturally, out it's an idea that fascinates me i right. guess and so I said, almost yeah, as if people were traveling from different time periods to implant that idea in your head <laughs> yeah, in yeah. stand up Wait, is that what happened? <laughs> um, that was the they they were able to implant all the ideas without you remembering, but what you did remember was the concept of time travel. So yeah, it kept yeah. coming up thematically, like time travel, time travel. Why is this guy so funny so quickly? <laughs> time travel. <laughs> uh, so I well, it didn't work out. I was trying to write it out, and I tried experimenting with a little bit about it on stage, and I was like, it's too specific. Well, maybe if I go more broad with it. It, like I, I'm interested in physics maybe I can do like a show about physics and then it turned into just like I was just writing like physics dick jokes right and I wasn't happy with it and then because um, you weren't really writing jokes about physics like is that what it is like sometimes I will watch like uh, political comedy shows or whatever and but they're not really they're like dick joke shows about polit politics or whatever like I, I want the joke, if I'm watching a political comedy show, I would like the joke to come out of the... And, like, I, in my own work, I, early on when I talked about politics, it was it was always about what the person looked like or what they wore or, like, you know, like it was. Or as a dick joke dressed up as political commentary. Whereas, like, now I'm like, well, you can make those jokes, but they have to be about what they said or the point. Or, like, they have, right. the joke has to come out of the... You know, the, it, the thing itself, like, is that what it was? It was or? more like a cop-out, like, punchline. So I would be trying to, like, explain relativity or something like that. Uh, and and so I I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's something to the effect of, um, like, say say I'm, I'm on a train that's traveling around the world at near the speed of light, and you're standing on a station, and, like, I'm having sex with a girl inside of that that train and you're watching from the station um, because uh, explaining how relativity works because of because of how time being relative like to her I might have only lasted 30 seconds but to you watching you've been watching this for like eight years right. so she has no business complaining or you know sure. something like that it's just like it, 
And so it, I always it like, like to specifically I always like to uh, explain the theory of relativity by um, uh, referring to if anyone's ever been to a white stripes uh, gig. And relativity is basically what two minutes feels like when Jack White's singing as opposed to what two minutes feels like when Meg White is singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Done. Uh, so, like, when I – like, that, that joke is a good example right. of, like, after I did it and tried it out on stage a few times, I was like, this isn't what I want to be doing. Um, but it was kind of edging enough. up on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, because that – like, all jokes aside, that, that dick joke – yeah. It's still like the the premise behind it, the idea behind it, like is actually about physics, or yeah, is about yeah, the yeah, idea yeah, of time yeah. travel, or is trying to explain yeah, something. Yeah, the premise was there, yeah. and and then and I was, you know, I'm I'm still working in clubs to these places where no one knows me, and um, for uh, for like reasons that aren't, aren't worth the long story of getting into, but I'll just say that I was in a new relationship, was having lots of sex, and thinking about an old relationship that was really bad, and writing a lot of relationship jokes at the same time. My girlfriend at the time smoked way more weed than I was used to, and, and we were watching a lot of uh, Animal Planet, and so I was getting high and watching jokes about animals, and then like these things started coming together because then right. I'd see mating behavior, and be like, that's kind of like us, you know, and, and and I'd be like talking for the monkey or whatever to make her laugh, and then I'd write that down. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I can write that on stage, and then I started looking into it. At the same time, my representation was like, you need to put together some sort of TV show or whatever, and at first I was going to be like, well. Maybe I do something that's like the science of, of sex. And so then I started, I mean, literally just starting with like Googling science of sex and like right. and going down wormholes and, and kind of really, that's when I really got into evolutionary biology and psychology, started trying to do some jokes on stage really to test out the waters of like what jokes of these will work well in a pitch, you know? And, um, and then through that, I realized that these jokes don't have take too much time to set up for the payoff if it's just like one joke and then I'm on to another thing. But if I set up the premise and start teaching people these premises that I can then build on through a show and I was like, this needs to be my act because I was having what had happened in the meantime was I put together a full hour of material that wasn't like this, wasn't a theme or anything, just like regular old Shane yeah. joke. And I got to, done with the hour, and I think like even I even invited some Comedy Central people came and saw it and everything. And I remember like about a month after that, I was just like, "What am I doing? Like this isn't. I'm not proud of any of this material. I don't want this to be my hour special." And so, so all of this was happening happening like during a mental breakdown. And then I got real excited about um, kind of this this take on well maybe maybe this is an accessible way that I can have for a science outlet with like mating behavior stuff since people like dick, dick jokes and whatnot right. anyway and and um, and I just decided that I was just going to stop doing my regular act and I was just like going on stage and kind of ranting about science in a funny way and sometimes it would work really well and other times it would bomb horrifically and I like burnt a lot of bridges in like two or three months and then I sort of figured it out and started working. You know what the good news is? I've heard that burning bridges Yeah, really, very popular. Very, very popular right But not now. just for like not being funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, if you're like really funny yeah. and then you're like, fuck 
you. Yeah. That's the no, kind of you've been burning the real. wrong bridges. Yeah, I was yeah. I was burning bridges in a whole yeah. new groundbreaking. Yeah, the bridges were actually like, burning yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I don't like being. A yeah, I don't want them to be going over uh, me to uh, another uh, place uh, to do that yeah. again. <laughs> and um, and then through that, it was a really helpful time uh, for me. I started doing more of that, and and I made my Netflix special mating season, which I'm so happy that I talked to you about it because afterwards, after our last podcast, I was like, you know, I didn't want to tell people this, but I'm like, I'm kind of embarrassed by my Netflix special now because like all this, because this was past the fact I, I released an album, My Big Break, that was about breaking my feet and the psychology of negative emotion. And that's when I like finally figured out like how to do this. And I didn't have it all the way figured out. I was still trying to be too accessible, still worried about getting like bachelorette parties to laugh and that sort of thing. And, um, and, and you, you, you said that looking back at specials and albums and stuff, you look at it and it's like looking at, you know, a high school picture of yourself where it's like, oh, can you believe I was wearing this or that? But you also can look at it and appreciate like, yeah, but that person still got me where I am today. It's, you know, it's just like, well, I mean, and your- to expand that, like, I mean, hopefully like the inherent promise, or if you want to look at it this way at the very least, and I think that we can, is that we are lucky enough to have chosen a profession and to have something that we have dedicated our lives to where the best years could still be in front of us. Yeah, Like, absolutely. you know, some people can't say that about their jobs. Like, I look at professional sports people, they love sports, yeah. but, like, most professional sports people have the greatest moment in their life at 26, 27, 28. Like, Trying you to know hold what I mean? on for a few more years, right. and that's about it. And then yeah. it's done. Yeah. Whereas, like, potentially, the thing that I do best or the thing, like, the thing that I create that is the best thing I create potentially still is to come. I look at George Miller. Like, I mean, he made Mad Max, Fury Road, 72 years old. Yeah, 72 fucking years old and he made this movie like this stunning fucking insane you know real life all these fucking stunts barely of any of it CGI in the middle of the fucking desert redefined what an action movie is got nominated and won a bunch of fucking Oscars at 72 years old Yeah, I mean it's a great gift to think that Hopefully you will look back on all of this and think who was that naive young person that has brought me to this place of evolution as a person I am now where I look back on every moment of my life as something that was it was could be flawed it could be embarrassing it could be whatever but if I'm happy with who I am right now then I also have to acknowledge that all those things brought me to here even if the lesson was don't be that yeah, even yeah. if the lesson I learned in that moment was Absolutely. I hate even if the lesson you learned Some was hey, lessons hey. Are hard. well you know yeah. there's things that I still sit with decades on from when they happened that you know that pop back into your thoughts or that you yeah, know like yeah, you're, yeah. where you're like oh I'm still not done with that oh I'm still not done with that and then hopefully what I like to think in those moments, those moments of like when you are haunted by something you know, that you're not proud of yourself that you did or like or something that, you know, happened that you wish hadn't happened or whatever, whatever the fuck it is, you know, with this, you know, insert your own one here, we all have them, right, is then going, well, what's my positive out of it? You know what I mean? Like, right. It, it, is the fact that I still think this is a terrible thing and that I have shaped my world and my life around like, you know, never revisiting this moment. Was that moment important? Because maybe I would have done a, like, maybe I would have done 20 smaller asshole things and hurt like much, like many more people or done whatever. If I hadn't just like mess, like, I mean, well, to use comedy as an example, just like, 
a massive fucking death is better than like a series of like just okay gigs because oh, a, yeah. a series of just okays you're not learning too many lessons right whereas yeah. like a massive fucking death will make you examine everything in finite detail about what's actually really going on you know and walking a few people right. to have the rest of the crowd going out of their minds right. is way better than just pleasing everybody you know and like a couple people are maybe rolling their eyes because it's a little lame or whatever but they're sitting there politely i mean so so some of those formative experiences have to come out of those most horrible experiences Mm -hmm. like part of who you are you know the empathy or the compassion or the love or the kindness or all those sort of things are formed often by the worst experiences not the best that's why when people are like, oh, I want to be younger. Like, I, I don't get that. Like, when I started really hitting the books, because I always had an interest in science and, and just philosophy in general and, and always, would always be having, like, big conversations like this with people as often as I could and anyone right. that I could connect with. And um, when I first started, like, really hitting the books, like, okay, I'm going to read, like, four hours a day. It was so hard at first with no background, and I never paid attention in school and everything. And I was like, you know what? Five years from now, I'm going to be really smart, you know? And just having that attitude helped me get through when I was, like, wanting to give up. And when you asked me earlier, like, what what era... Uh, I, I liked your explanation because at first I was going to say like the future. I think I think the future era of comedy is what I'm what I'm the most excited about with podcasts and able to do more one man show things and indie venues. Uh, and I mean, the capacity for self expression now. So like I mean, better. well, I can do this, yeah. and I can make it however I want to make it. And often when like somebody will contact me about their podcast early on, they'll be like, you know, hey, I'm doing a podcast. Can you ever listen? I said, the last thing in the world you want is my advice because you'll probably follow it. Yeah. Here's what you should actually do is anything. This you is- know what? I'm an old man. I'm 42 years old. Like you have this technology at your hands now where you can make anything. Yeah. Make, make something I cannot possibly imagine make something that like i will be confused by make something that is the next thing don't make what i think is like i will maybe try to make something that i think is what i could make but you this new person with this new thing make things that i will never imagine that's what you should be doing and it's the this is the time for it because no one's you're not sending this podcast off to like a team of industry people to review and give you notes on. I mean, I like, do personally. I, that's what I do. Well, I know, but most people I mean, don't I go do. through yeah, that. I, this is actually the fifth conversation that we've had because we kept on getting notes on this. I mean, this is literally, this is a, this is a real punch up. <laughs> the first four were horrendous. I think this one's going okay. Yeah. We're only going to need about 20 more. Yeah, this yeah exactly. Really this is like go. a, this is actually a 30 second podcast. <laughs> um, and and this is from our network series that Shane and I actually got up. We pitched them <laughs> that it was this, but it's actually called the meaning of life in thirty seconds. So I said they're going to cut this down just to thirty seconds. It's going to be thirty seconds. That'll be good though. Um, and so I had um, in the in this meantime of learning all this and like maybe trying to play around, which I later abandoned the idea of like the science of sex TV show thing. But in the process of that. I reached out to authors and and made some friends with people and I even like helped teach a class at UCLA and and um and I was like meeting all of these academics that I was having all of these just mind-blowing conversations with over lunch or whatever and I was like 
what I, I should have just recorded that conversation. Right. So, and that's why I started my podcast. And then once I started my podcast, um, that, that kind of changed everything because I had learned how to do comedy. I had learned how to make people laugh. I hadn't learned how to talk about science on stage and talk about it to the public and convey the information. And, and that, that was like open micing, you know, like how do I say this in an interesting way where people will listen? Well, because it's interesting you put it like that because that's, I think is actually the great genius of what it is that you're doing now, because in some ways you have become a conduit between those ideas and the rest of like, like the community. Yeah. Right. Like, whereas that there will be people who never listen to your podcast who, love the fact that you've done their pod, your podcast because what they actually just want to see is your interpretation of those ideas through your work yeah. because they're not ready to sit down and listen to that person for an hour and a half. Right, but right. what they do need is you to sit down with that person for an hour and a half <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that you can synthesize those thoughts into that five-minute bit they're really going to enjoy and yeah, feel like their job yeah, is done. Yeah. Like, I mean, there is that. Like, I mean, I think there's great value in that. Like, I mean, I said to you when uh, I'd been listening to you on uh, Pete Holmes's show and – Part of it is because I like hearing you talk about these things and I know that you have your podcast and yes, I have listened to the podcast, yeah. but I'm not going to listen to it every week. Yeah, but I, my podcast but if, is a science right. podcast. But if, it's but not if, so much a comedy But podcast. if there's a comedy podcast where you're going to talk about the like, distill the <laughs> yeah. ideas yeah, yeah, yeah. into an accessible way, then yeah, I'm, I'm signed right. me up for that podcast. Yeah, and I mean, this is, it, and it, it shifted my whole attitude too because I think I was a much angrier person too before okay. learning all of, all of this stuff. Uh, uh, the, the science stuff or was it about you being not fulfilled as a person or was it about you being resentful of like what was the I mean, anger like an angry atheist and like kind of yeah. embarrassed by my upbringing and, and and just like people kind of being in this sheltered existence and well you had the reaction that a lot of people have like if you've been like if you've been fed a lie and then the con is pulled like in any situation when someone gets punked or whatever on the television show but in any situation where you set somebody up with one thing and then you pull the rug from other yeah. under them like the natural reaction is defensiveness, is anger, is like, you know, you're humiliated by this thing. And to be lied to about, like, if you are a person who comes to that conclusion, that yeah. like you have been brainwashed with this thing, that yeah. like if you're a person who goes into the world where that makes no sense, you can't put the genie back in the fucking bottle then. Once you've realized that none of that makes any sense, like the idea that like you were force fed those ideas, like as a person who was meant to be learning That's about the world and stuff can lead to... A natural anger, reaction of anger and self-righteous anger. Family, my upbringing, very condescending about things. And right. As I started learning about evolutionary biology and psychology and, and being like, oh, I don't know how evolution works. Right. Like, you might get the gist of how evolution works, yeah. but you don't know how evolution, unless you like really. No, I, have to, I get the know. gist of what. I'm not talking to you. I'm no, like, but most, I mean, but in general, I get the gist of what you get the gist of what evolution is. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like most things, all my understanding of these things is funneled already through right. ciphers. Like, even if I get, like, so up-to-date scientific knowledge, it's because fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson told me about it on a television show. It's not yeah. like I've gone away and, you know, researched all these, like, Done you know. Math yeah, I know. I saw that movie about Stephen Hawking. I get how the universe yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, like. And then having to, like, 
keep up with academics and having to do the math, having right. to figure out the math of it all, you know, uh, was really humbling. And, and and then even like in the, the context of like, I mean, I know with a lot of the theoretical, like, you know, uh, well, theoretical, I mean, that's what theories are, obviously. But, you know, like the, from my limited understanding of like, you know, the idea of quantum mathematics and quantum physics and like all that sort of stuff. Everyone has a limited understanding right. when it comes to that world, yeah. But it's like one of those things that you'll have a bunch of like, you know, the smartest people in the world going, well, this is how things are. There's no way we can like prove, show you this or prove this to you, but yeah. here is this like perfect like. And so often the things that we're asked to rely on or understand or like, you know, that our world operates on in science are actually much more like ridiculous than the things that religion tries to teach us. Oh, absolutely. Or that like Santa that, or whatever. That something can teleport. Right. You know, uh, that that you can, I think they just had, they set the record for teleporting uh, um, electrons or some uh, quark um, across like some eight mile long strip or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean the truth of the, the truth of like the reality of digging into it is it's far more bizarre than right. an idea of God is. And that's why we came up with ideas. We got, they were simple, like first kind of wax at what might right. be happening. Why the, why the sun rises and, and uh, it goes away at night and then it seems reborn again the next day. Like, you know, what's this sun generator? Yeah. And uh, how's that happening? Gary reckons it's God again. <laughs> he reckons that one's God too. <laughs> reckons go- heaps of it's God. We better keep on sacrificing right. people because it's, as long as we keep on sacrificing, it seems like the, the God generator keeps on shooting or the right. sun generator keeps Comes on. Comes up every day. So, so stick with that. I mean, and there's, one, there's one guy back there going, well, you know, there's a difference between correlation and causation. And you're like, <laughs> who is this guy? Kill this guy. Sacrifice this dickhead now. <laughs> Oh, Noe McKnowitall with his correlation causation fucking arguments. No, thank you. The the sun god is angered by him. So all of these things, it was just life-changing because all of these things came together at the same time. I wanted to take my career in a different direction. Uh I wanted to be talking about smarter, more interesting things. I had all this anger built up that I didn't know how to get rid of that alleviated that I gained empathy for these people that just never had access to these ideas. Right. And that, that was part of the excitement for me. It's like, I wonder if I could translate what this scientist is saying into a way that my parents would understand, right. you know, open a door for people. Yeah. I always say that you can never change someone's mind, but if somebody's looking for a path to take, you can open a door. Yeah. And if you could be the person who goes, you're not even going to be able to surmise the, the great level of understanding or, you know, thought or perspective on these topics. But if you could open a door for somebody who hadn't thought about it that way, but was looking around for a door. Yeah. It's a pretty exciting moment because also your knowledge was sparked by somebody opening that door for you. Absolutely. Whoever it was or a series of people that it was, but like mostly like bitter angst. Like I want to argue with people too. Right. Well, you know, sometimes you angrily open a door and slam it behind Ah! you. Yeah. Oh, look at all this. Yeah. 
this door open and he's nicer now. Have you tried ripping that yeah, door open? Still There's lots of love in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, you had to rip the door open. You know what? Yeah. He could have just opened the door, but we're happy for you to rip it open. Yeah, that's, yeah. How, that's how loving we are. Here. <laughs> we understand that you didn't know what you were doing when you ripped the door open. That was just an evolutionary response to a fear of our love. Yeah, and, and not only that, but it just made life more interesting for me. I've always I've always been like, uh, I, could, I could take it take it or leave it. I right. don't I don't care if I die tomorrow, you uh-huh. know, sort of thing. I chronic depression my whole life. And all that stuff, it was just helping all of it. It was making my act better. I, I think my last album I'm still to this day quite proud of. Um and which is free on Spotify, by the way. And and but it, but I figured out how to do these themes and interject science to it and still keep them funny. And um and then um, and so that was like the main big change. Right. And then with my show about... But when you were going through that, did you have uh, like doubts about like, I, you know... At times I started crying and right. stuff. And I, I quit drinking for a few years because like I had a show go really badly, got super drunk, like really made a fool of myself. I had like people walking out on me, like left, not like a couple people, like uh-huh. everyone else is having fun, like a whole room, like leaving and like the people that were staying just feeling bad for me and not like laughing and it it was it was some dark times and um and i and from that you know it was kind of like and then i mean what's that like do you have a memory of what that's like on stage like what your mindset is that you can't pull that out of what's happening because anger and panic right and like and i was trying to like okay well i'll just go back to my old act then it was like too late and you know it was just it was really, really awful. Oh. Uh, I remember going into the bathroom right afterwards and just starting crying. And how long and did that home. memory of like that happening stay with you? Are you a person uh, who can put that aside, or is that yeah, like I put, I, I put that aside? It was it was a solid it was a solid year or so. Yeah, because because it, it was also like right when it was right when I thought I was like ready to go with this new act, like right. mating season. I was like, okay, this will be it. This is accessible enough. It was like I, you know, I was having. I was having like cowboys come up to me in shows and st- like in Texas, be like, "I never thought I'd laugh at science." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, this is what I, what I, I do. want to do." Yeah, right. And then I realized that it was just for for someone who's like more comedy savvy and may- maybe looking for higher brow was more coming off as like, "You think you're talking about smart stuff, but this is kind of bland." Right. Um, because I was trying to make it really accessible. And, right. Yeah, and, and look, and that's always like, well, I mean, it's a much bigger challenge to make something that pleases both of those crowds and that is a really difficult thing to do because ordinarily either you're playing to the back of the room or the smartest people in the room or the people who think they're the smartest people in the room or whatever or you broaden out those ideas like so in the first one in the first one i would argue that you are perhaps preaching to the choir that you are saying things to people who already understand those ideas and at the end of the day how is just reinforcing pre-existing prejudices really being an artist like maybe i can take these ideas and use my sense of communication to broaden them out now of course you can then just swing too far the other way where you're like you've lost the you know the yeah. You know, anyway, I've it's gone, a, it, I've but gone it is both di- ways. well. But it's I think it's the most difficult of all balances. Yeah, it is. And I, um, you know, another thing that uh, that helped, and and I, I mean, I don't, I, you know, whatever. I'm I'm gonna talk about breaking my feet. I've talked about it endlessly, and uh, you know, we talked about it last time I was on here. But I, when I started 
comedy, I like did not give a fuck. Like I was the ballsiest comic out there. I would go on stage. I would do all new five minutes of material. Didn't matter if it was like the most important gig in town. It didn't matter if I knew I was going to alienate half the people. Um, and it worked, you right. know, like I just didn't give a fuck and it worked. And, and, uh, and then didn't uncle unkind same set back to back, back to back. People have talked about it forever. Didn't give a fuck. Really nailed it the second time. So much about it. Seriously. The first time was so good. I got to do it right right away again. Yeah. And then second time. They actually offered him an encore on the second one because it was better, but Uh, they didn't have the time. Um, I, (laughs) you know, once I started making money and being on the road and stuff and, and realizing that some of my stuff would alienate some people and like, you know, getting a few complaints here and there, I really, it really neutered me a little bit. Right. And, and like, cause this is my dream. You know, I want it. I was like, you know, Shane, this is what you want to do. You want to make a living. You're making a living now, you know, do and Yeah. So, this is p- perhaps what comes with it. Yeah. Which by the way is perhaps what comes with yeah, it. Yeah, like on a micro to macro level, like there is a certain point where like, if you don't want to make compromise, there is a cap on the amount of popularity that you can have because Absolutely. by the very nature of broadening something out, that's how it works. And then I, I like, I broke my feet and I, was I already had an act together about why we experienced negative emotions. So I was working well enough, uh-huh. but I didn't have anything to like tie it into that was personal and relatable. Right. And I broke back of my feet just happened to work perfectly for that. And then at the exact same time, I spent three months, like uh, the worst three months of my life, like living in my parents' basement. And it was like, it just something like broke in me. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to do exactly what I want to do. And then I'll figure it out along the way and, and get it so that I can do it on stage. But I am going to start with, this is exactly what I want to do. I'm not compromising. And that changed everything for me. And then, and so big break did well, but I didn't get any like attention for it or anything, but people, as I get bigger, people will listen back to it. Right. That it's very good uh, album. And then, um, and then I, it, what happened was just from doing podcasts, I was talking about uh, I was talking about doing DMT on on uh, you made it weird, and my agent, my new agent, happened to listen to it, and rather than like scold me and be like you're taking crazy drugs and I don't want to represent a lunatic, I uh, was like that was the most interesting shit I've ever heard. Right. I want to hear about that more. And I was like, well, since you're bringing it up, I do have like I have folders of different themes. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm like I do have the psychedelic older that's it's full it's ready to go it's just that i was gonna wait for like five years so i, I don't want to like out myself as like this right. psychedelic yeah comedian. i didn't feel like this was a career opportunity yeah and she's like well why don't we try it long you just look up put together some indie venues and um she did that and it like went great right away and then it was and so then we started booking more and it would be like you know, you'll do a week with your regular act and then on Sunday or the Wednesday before or whatever, right. you'll do the psychedelic show in some music club or something like that. And at first I was really at the mercy of, of whatever indie bookers were able to, cause I still wasn't a name act and everything. And, um, and the act was so good and people were coming up to me afterwards rather than people being like, 
oh, thanks. That was funny. People were like in line, like wanting to tell me their stories, wanting right. to tell me about drugs I'd never heard of, wanting to ask me questions about science and stuff like right. that. And it'd lead into these big like Q and A's afterwards and stuff. Even if there's only 20 people there, like it'd just go tremendously well. I couldn't figure out how to get people in to see it. And I just tweaked some stuff. I started focusing on like, like, well, you know, you interview marketers and know how marketing works like you study this stuff maybe you should try marketing which i've always been against my entire life and i just started kind of changing some things and figuring out how to target the psychedelic community and by the way the started filling rooms well the marketing thing is interesting because like i think that there are a lot of comedians who find it very hard to market and if someone is actually a really good marketer in comedy it almost like like usually they say yeah, it sours them that you know? are, everyone's like yeah that are like, not funny that are right. great at promoting themselves but there was a point where i came to where i was like well do i believe in this thing like if i believe in it if i've made something then i want people to come and see it yeah. so then you know what i'll tell people about it and if i'm not proud enough to tell people about it yeah then I shouldn't be doing it in the first place. So every time, like if somebody gets up me a bit and like, I try to mix it up with like other things or whatever. So it's not all plugs and whatever, but I'm not going to be ashamed of the fact I I worked really hard on this thing. And if I'm going to charge people to come and see it, I'm also going to give it a couple of fucking free plugs on this thing that you get for free. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of what all of this is for. And by the way, like, like my podcast that isn't sponsored or anything, I, I just have a, each academic, um, you know, I mentioned a charity of their choice, but and, and it is to like build a fan base and everything. But you have to understand, I'm I'm a broke person. I live with four other comedians. That's how broke I am. And four other comedians. Yeah, there's uh, five of there's you in the five house. Five of us in a five house. comedians yeah. in the house. And and um and yeah, and I it's mean, crazy. And yeah. and I I'm broke i am especially after breaking my feet i was, i maxed out all my credit cards just to live and pay off my medical bills oh really you yeah. had medical bills in the american uh, medical system i didn't realize yeah, that yeah even with health insurance damn you turns, obamacare it turns out turns out that's a it, terrible if it, if it weren't for obamacare i would have been bankrupt yeah that they at least covered most of the stuff but and then i i couldn't work for right. uh, there's three three months two different times for two different surgeries that i couldn't work for yeah so then you literally could not do the thing that's the first half of the description of your job. Yeah. And, and, um, and you know, I'm still putting money into the podcast each week and marketing is not cheap either to target. Like I have right. to spend money to get people out in, in, and, um, and, and a lot of people were coming out and being like, Oh, I would have never, I didn't know who you were. I saw like the cool artwork and stuff on Facebook sounded interesting. And you're now my favorite comic. Right. Like, I get that all the time and it's amazing. And, and so, and I'm not targeting just the general public. I'm targeting specifically the psychedelic crowd. Right. And, um, and so it should be something that they're interested in they're all like in the closet. They don't get an opportunity to hear stuff like this. So right. Or talk about it or share about. those sort of like experiences. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, a lot of those, you know, best sort of, drug related stories or insights are best shared with other people who've had like at least similar like insights so that's it makes why AA, that's part of what aa 
ma- makes AA work for the people that it does work is just a sense of community. I mean, essentially, it's, it's not really those steps don't really. Essentially, do you've ripped off the business model of AA, except it's for people who are probably still doing psychedelics. Yeah, it's the it's exact like, opposite. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Getting people to do more psychedelics. Yeah, yeah. I, this is Psychedelics Anonymous, except that we haven't t- stopped taking psychedelics. We are actually trying yeah. to take more. Yeah. We're trying to get brave enough. We're yeah. trying to work up the courage to do more. <laughs> psychedelics in fact and then we want uh we want laws to be changed so we can do more and right. they're gonna be cheaper and yeah. easier to get your hands yeah on. we don't want it to be anonymous we want it. <laughs> yeah and we want everyone to yeah. know how great they are yeah this is public psychedelics <laughs> like we're having right? beautiful experiences that we want to tell people we don't want to be keeping this like in the we closet didn't lose anymore. our job we came up with the idea that got us the promotion right well but we can't tell but we can't tell anybody about <laughs> yeah, it yeah. we want to come out <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. And um and so I started filling all these like great right. clubs on like Tuesday nights, Sunday nights and still you know well the word got out that, that you, what you've really got to do is sell them like you've got to get in on a deal on the local psychedelics dealer so they come around they go like what do you want tonight they go well we got some DMT we got some mushrooms uh, we got like six Shane Moss tickets if you <laughs> I can do you a little package if you want he's got these little <laughs> Um, uh, there's always people who are like, oh, do you supply the psychedelics when I come yeah. to the show? It's like, you are familiar with how right. the laws work, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. That would be a great way to fund your business model. But... I, I actually did one, one of the shows that I did was in Oregon oh. at, in uh, Salem at a pizza joint. I'm actually going back there. It, it's like the only, I have one pizza joint on the door that I've got, <laughs> and I'm only going back to this place because I'm, I'm trying to do more prestigious like music clubs and right and more prestigious pe- pizza joints more, more prestigious pizza joints <laughs> more prestigious but, restaurants but this place not only <laughs> yeah, is like, it like kind of a fun setup right. but they give everyone a joint who uh, shows up there you go that's wonderful see yeah and i'm not a huge weed guy to be honest but when it's come on yeah when it can happen beautiful let it happen yeah <laughs> yeah let it happen let it happen <laughs> Give it to someone else if you're not going to smoke it right. yourself. Don't yeah. not take the joint. I'm uh, doing gigs in Portland and in uh, Denver later on in the year in November and December. Oh, please let me know. I'll send all my friends out. Oh, that'd be Portland. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, But they are those places where, you know, like in sometimes in those places they have the weed shows where people can like come and smoke and what. That, I, I still want to play one of those. I have not yet to play one of those well, sort I of shows. Well, I can this gig. It's like, it's actually, I know it's not, a piece of joint doesn't sound that glamorous, but it's like you'll pack it and get a door deal and right. like it'll, it'll plus be awesome. pizza right plus pizza and joints <laughs> and like they, they, they gave me like wine bottles to take home with me and stuff too it was wonderful uh, uh, alright we should stop talking yeah, in a yeah, minute no, because I've got to go and do fucking no, pod no, fest yeah. Yeah, but yeah. um uh, so tell people about the tour. You're doing heaps of places. 65 like, cities. So how do people US, find out? Uh, Shane Moss, M-A-U-S-S dot com. Go to a good trip tour. Um, there's, the, I think there's like three or four dates that are still like to be announced, but everything else is up there. And then there's like some ticket links that I have to wait on for a week, but it's basically, it's all confirmed. If anything, it, it might end up being more like 75 cities. So Shane, yeah. if I am a person who has never taken psychedelic drugs, yeah. will I still enjoy your show? I have so many people come out that are like, because someone will like bring their significant other that they've tried to like, talk into it or they're nervous or whatever and I think I've changed a lot of lives right. I, I, 
<laughs> I, um, I, I'm, I'm able to uh, articulate the experience for people. I, I actually did it in Myrtle Beach, um, and, and they put it like wrong on the calendar, and people showed up that didn't know I was doing the psychedelic oh, show, okay. which is absolutely what I do not uh, right. want and yeah, what you're I'm not trying just, to avoid yeah. at all costs. And they were, they were like, there was people that were like pissed for like the first... 20 even like 30 minutes like old people that right in myrtle beach like really conservative area that were like what this is gonna be? and like e even those people by the end were like oh okay i guess i see what you're saying right. so I, I think that and that's a very adverse group so if you come not having done it but you're open-minded you're curious i think that uh i think that i'll be able to relate it to you uh what do you think will be I mean, that's a long tour. That's a, and it's a long time to be talking about these ideas. Yeah. Um, have you considered that? Have you thought about that? I mean, I know that you like have toured a lot over the years and those sort of things, but this is a sp very specific world to be in yeah. every night or every second night or like, you know, however, whatever it'll be. You will have to be in this world and talking about these ideas scheduled constantly for months yeah. on end. Yeah, like, yeah. have you thought about the idea of like what that will be like? Like what's the experience of actually doing the show? Like, is it a show that's easy to do? Is it hard to do? Is it exhausting? You know, like different shows have sort of different weights and paces and all those sort of things, you know, to them. What, what does it feel like to do this show? It's so fun. It's so much fun because I, it's, well, this is just having a theme in general. This isn't just about psychedelics, but I, when you have a theme, it's so much easier, like when you have a new joke, to plug in the right. new joke. Because my old stuff is like, here's a joke, here's a joke, here's a joke, and then here's a joke you don't like. Now you're starting all over. Okay, hopefully you like the <laughs> next joke, hopefully you like the next joke. Yeah, sure. You, 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 uh, if you have an idea in a theme show that right. doesn't go your way, you're st it's still part of the right. theme. It still yeah. makes sense why you're The idea is still it. happening. Yeah, yeah. Even the though there was a couple of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that's exciting. I mean, I have... It's it's a monster now. I do an hour and a half, and I have two hours of material for it easily. I'm trying to like cut it down, and so I'm adding new stuff all the time and trying to cut stuff out. So it's constantly evolving. But in the meantime, I also have like a follow up act that I'm that I'm putting together at the same time, and then also a completely different um, theme, two different completely different themes that I'm in like the beginning stages of putting together. So this show's like done. It's okay. like ready to go, ready to be recorded for a special. And um, and so sometimes I'm going to be on autopilot a, a little bit here and there. Like just, you know, just here's the material that works really well. And, right. And, and, like uh, let the show be the show. Uh, yeah. On some nights you don't have to like – on some nights if you're like the jockey – and the horse is running well. Yeah, all you yeah. have to do is sit on the back. <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah, need, you yeah, don't yeah, need yeah. to get the whip out. You <laughs> yes. just need to hold on exactly. and enjoy the ride. And so I think that I think a lot of it's going to be um, driving, listening to audiobooks, trying to maintain my podcast on a weekly basis, and focusing a lot on that aspect of it because uh -huh. the show doesn't need any work at this point. Um, and uh, so I don't know what it's going to be like, but I do. I don't. You know, I actually enjoy like a two to three hour drive. It's the ones that are more than that that I'm right. worried about. Because two to three hours is like, that's when I get 
all my best ideas. Right. It's enough time to just like comfortably sit by yourself two to three hours. You're yeah. like, it's almost a break two to three hours. Yeah. You can yeah. just, oh, you mean I can just sit and like listen to a podcast or I can sit and like do whatever for like this period of time and I don't like technically I'm doing something. So I don't. Yeah. And the act of having like some mindless kind of active activity right. that gets the creativity flow. Well, I mean, I think it's that thing of like, you know, your brain looking for that other thing and, you know, I mean, it's that in Bull Durham. You remember the movie Bull Durham? Do you remember uh, that movie? I mean, I've seen it, but I don't remember. So uh, Kevin Costner's character is the catcher and uh, Tim Robbins is the gun pitcher and he's trying to teach him the psychology of baseball and he's trying to teach him to not like, to not concentrate on his pitching so he makes him wear women's underwear on the mound underneath his uniform yeah, and it's yeah, to just yeah, set yeah, his yeah, mind yeah, off a little yeah, so that yeah, he's not yeah, fully... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what and there is, writing is like. Yeah. Or the best ideas swimming i can can grind out a swimming running uh, any of those things where you're shower washing dishes shower washing dishes and driving yeah like three favorite i mean that's i hope my roommates don't listen to this like why don't you ever fucking wash a dish then but but i'm like my I, i work from home and often like the thing that i don't like is someone else being there because the bits that are important of the creative process sometimes look like i'm not working yeah like sometimes yeah, i'll yeah. sit there for half an hour and think about this thing and then i'll go and like try to get some leaves out of the pool but it's that bit where i'm like getting the leaves out of the pool where it's all like jiggling together in my head and finally making sense yeah, to me. You know, yeah like, you gotta engage the just something else mind. right and just let it work itself out yeah get out yeah. of the way of it they uh, uh you know the pomodoro technique um, you, I need like, a bull you, to run towards me. Is this you, what you're saying? You, no, you, like... set, you, set a, <laughs> you set a timer for like, say, 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And the idea is you're going to focus on writing or whatever uh-huh. for 20 to 30 minutes. And it's easy for your brain to be like, well, I can focus on that for 20 to 30 minutes. Right. Or whatever. And then you stop. Yeah, And you find what works for you and then take like a five to 10 minute break. Just get your mind off of it. Just stop thinking about it. Uh, go, go and scoop leaves out of the pool or whatever. And that's when you're, you'll come up with all of your best ideas and, and it will consolidate the memories and stuff uh, much better of what you're working on. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I do think like, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing how little we know about the creative process or at least how little, because everybody who's, I think the creative process is much like the diet industry, whereas there may be a bunch of good There's ideas in there, works, but, right? Uh, but it's so yeah. like caught up in people trying to flog you something right, that right, like, it's right, really right, hard right. to get to the yeah, actual yeah. truth of what works and find out who to trust and find out what is like, you know, the, yeah. and you know, anyway, look, we've got to finish, great, great. because even on, yeah, a, yeah. even on uh, the one where I like, we've got to finish up, we've managed yeah. to do an hour and 50. So, it's yeah, not like we've yeah, yeah. really uh, yeah, which is a long time for a 30 second long <laughs> a 30, podcast. it'll be edited down to 30 seconds <laughs> 30 second meaning of life um, I uh, will do a, a couple of quick plugs um, LA Podcast Festival you will hear this uh, hopefully before um, uh, the live TOEFOP so it's 2 o'clock Saturday um, a heap of excellent guests um, anyway that'll be fun come to that you can watch the live stream LAPodcastFestival.com for over 40 shows you can watch them for a month it's only 25 bucks it's uh, 20 bucks if you use the code TOFOP, T-O-F-O-P, and we get seven bucks. Helps us with the flights and stuff. So uh, that'd be really cool. I am doing a week of fully improvised stand-up shows at Giant Wood Dwarf Theatre in uh, Sydney. So every night is completely different. I just make up the show in the room on the night. Uh, they are fun. Well, hopefully that'll be fun. Maybe that'll be shit. That's the idea of them. That's the danger. That's the excitement. 
Um, all right. Uh, Shane, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, and we'll talk to you again. Oh, uh, what's your podcast called? Here we are. You can go to herewearepodcast.com. There you go. Nice one. Nice one.